Welcome to the Strong Enough Podcast, your relationship wellness podcast. I'm your host, Claudia. Today's guest is going to share with us how his wife's health struggles actually taught him to live life to the fullest and how a rubber duck named Banfi actually saved his life. Please help me in welcoming Gordon Jenkins. Gordon, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing absolutely amazing. So thank you so much. Really looking forward to uh, spending the next hour or so just chatting away and seeing where we get to. I am excited to do that as well. I think we've got a lot of interesting things that we're going to cover. Why don't we start with you telling the audience a little bit about yourself? A little bit. Oh, I don't like that question. Uh, a little bit about myself. Hey, you so, said I could ask. Uh, anything, yeah, you did. So. So, so, let me, so let me put it this way. When people say to me, tell me about yourself, Gordon, I say, well, there's three things about me. I can talk to you about being an executive coach, which is boring. I can talk to you about why I carry a yellow rubber duck in the pocket. I don't get away with that, which is intriguing. Or I can tell you why I'm going to build the New Age Hospital in Melbourne, Australia, and it's going to sell millions of lives. No one ever asked me about an executive coach, <laughs> but it's the same story. So very quickly, I am very proud to be 51 and a half, 51 and three quarters years old, years old, born and bred in Manchester in the UK, Northern England. That's why I've got a funny accent. Came to Australia in 1996, a one-way ticket, didn't know anyone in Australia, and got a job three days after I started, thought I'd travel, didn't have enough money, picked up my career in finance, met a wonderful lady, and my world's been rich with meeting and being surrounded by people full of passion. And through that, I've had trauma, depression. I wouldn't say a different life to anyone else or better or worse life than anyone else, but very unique to me. You know, if you would have said, this is what your life's going to be at 52, what I got, bullshit. <laughs> I'm on the corporate gravy train. I'm going to earn a million dollars but I've um, never been happier. I love that very, very, very much. And I'm glad that you pointed out, you know, where you're from, because as we were just talking about, some people might confuse your accent with, you know, California. I don't know. Um, so, so thanks for clearing that up for us. You mentioned a couple different things there that we are going to jump into um, and probably, you know, not the executive coach right away, but we're going to yeah. get there. But I would love to hear about this amazing lady in your life that you met. So I have an amazing young lady. She's younger. I'm just cradle snatcher, uh, Wendy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I met Wendy um, and knew straight away that she was the lady for me and that doesn't mean and I haven't slept I slept around we laugh and joke because she drinks more than me and she's had more boyfriends and more partners than I have um, so I've never been one to flaunt but I just met her there's just something different about her and it's just you just it's that thing in Australia we have this thing about the vibe it's the vibe mm-hmm. you just you just know what it is and she worked for a Royal Dutch Shell big oil company 
Mm-hmm. I worked for UBS and we had our career mapped out. She was going to run Shell Global in Europe and I was just going to retire with a football team of kids at a bit at home, set home shelf, uh, set home dad and chef and cook and all that stuff. And that looks brilliant on paper, but as we know, life doesn't always turn out as you think it is. Think it is. And she, she is my rock. And, you know, we've not had the pathway hasn't been the way we thought it's been. And one thing I've learned through Wendy and with Wendy is to share the love, to share the, the concerns. But when the shit hits the fan and you just want to scream and shout, you need someone other than your partner to take, to go <laughs> and do that with. So you, yeah, but um, she's a wonderful person. She's an absolutely uh, amazing person. It's why I think it's why I am who I am today and why I do what I do today. I do want to take a moment to point out one thing. You mentioned that you are 51 and a half and then you rounded it to 52. So we'll just say 52 for now. <laughs> but what I want to point out, and I mentioned this, I think last week, on that episode is that I have uh, apparently acquired this knack for getting guests who appear much younger than they actually are. And I have done that once again, because you do not look 51 and a half or 52. So I'm not sure how I have acquired this uh, ability to do this, but you're looking great for 52, so you probably, I'm guessing, look more like Wendy's age because you are matching her vibe and her energy. Would you agree? So, a few things I want to talk about there. I do believe we create the universe ourselves and we, we attract people who are like-minded. So, age is not a factor. I actually feel 30, 35. I mean, yes, I've lost probably 10 kilos. What's that, 20-odd pounds in the last, uh, 22 pounds in the last year or so. Um but because of the journey I'm on now, I feel like my younger self. I've got my mojo back. Uh, and I think that when you feel good physically and when you feel good mentally and you surround yourself without any toxic people, um, shit happens. Good shit happens. <laughs> yes. There's a lot to unpack there that you just mentioned because we got rid of toxic people in that sentence. And we got rid of about 10 kilos. I want to talk to you about that for a second because COVID has been happening and we heard about the COVID-19 where everybody was gaining weight. You took the opportunity to lose weight. And I think part of that is because you say that you have kind of been living a COVID lifestyle in a sense for a long time. So will you talk a little bit about that and how you got to that point of living that COVID lifestyle way before COVID was a thing. Sure. So um, we had this, Wendy and I had this vision to go and work in Singapore, go and work in down in Texas, uh, and Texas, go to Europe and live there. And Wendy suddenly got a very serious illness and she needed a double lung transplant. Uh, so we were one of the first to bring Viagra. We actually brought Viagra into Australia because Viagra was actually made for the disease that Wendy had. It was I found out it does other things as well. Wow. Which is interesting. So Wendy, because Wendy needed a double lung transplant straight away, we had to adapt our life. So can't be anywhere 
anyone that's not immunized, can't, can't share food, got a sniffle, can't go there, can't eat food from a buffet. Uh, you know, once the food's opened, it's done, you can't store it for the next day in the fridge, can't eat certain seafood. Okay, so your life changes straight away. So you become a lot more aware of people. You know, if people are not vaccinated, probably you don't go there. So you have to be careful about what you do. You can't go in the sun, conscious of what you're eating. Wash your hands when you go to the toilet. I know this sounds really simple, but as we find out these things, people are like, oh, man, I've got to wash my hands when I... Right. right. This has apparently been a surprise for some <laughs> people, <laughs> which is really gross, but you're but right. It also, but it also meant because we couldn't necessarily do with a lot of things we did, the way I had to do business had to change very suddenly. So I was always on call once you had a transplant, but also because she's had lots of complications since then that I can't plan two weeks in advance. So my life has had to be very flexible and adapt to change straight away. So I adapted my business. My business went very virtual straight away. Now, I've been in business since 1986 and I've used video conferences since 1986. So Zoom's not you. Okay, so let's mm-hmm. people think you But you adapt very, very quickly. So the living the COVID world and doing things that are unconventional to what we do now is very conventional. So I came to Australia and I knew no one in Australia. When I came to Melbourne, it's like, which school did you go to? Which sporting team? Do you go, well, the school doesn't matter because it's in the UK. Which sporting team is? Well, I'm a soccer player, not a AFL player. Mm-hmm. So doesn't really make much difference. Do I know and in what area do I live in? So those normal questions that people ask and how people get jobs. And, you know, we're going back to the early 90s when it was the boys club mm-hmm. and you got the job. And I had to find out how to change. Now, if I take that back 10 years before, 15 years before, I was never an A-plus student at school. Never. Highly dyslexic, not an A-plus student. So when I'm going for a job and there's 10,000 graduates going for one job and they've all got straight A's, how am I going to differentiate myself and get a foot in the door? Mm-hmm. So what does everyone do? Everyone applies on white pieces of paper for the job. These are the days we haven't hand wrote your types mm-hmm. on your resume. So what do I do? I send my resume and my pieces of paper and my resume on orange, orange paper. Why? Because orange paper sticks out in a pile of blue paper, mm-hmm. pile of white paper. So thinking differently and being unconventional. So we've lived that unconventional life all the way through. So when we get to COVID, people go, oh my God, we've suddenly got to communicate to people online or we can't go to the office. I'm going, well, that's just normal. It's just normal. Okay, we've had a go-to bag for 16 years. Right? So mm-hmm. we've always stocked up. So being unconventional, living this COVID way of life is, is what's well, normal. And everything that people were saying for me in business has been non-traditional. It's different and it's bad is now, well, it's actually refreshing because how do we do it? Mm-hmm. So that's why I say I live in a COVID world. I'm, not, I, I'm happy to go down the COVID argument, that COVID discussions. If you want to go down that way, I've got very, very certain rules about it. Um, but it's about what is, what is really interesting about COVID is COVID didn't break the system. COVID proved that the way we think about our systems is broken. Right, you proved our systems are not strong enough. If you think about it in business, those leaders that were saying no to you before COVID, but so you can't work from home. Mm-hmm. Okay, it wasn't because you can't work; it's because leaders didn't trust you working from home. Suddenly, you can't work from home. You can't work in the office, and leaders go, "Oh, we can work from home." But these, so these leaders think they're brilliant, but these are the same leaders who were saying no to you before and now think they're brilliant. 
And just on working from home, working from home is over 400 years old. Okay, back in the 17th, 16th century, when the Black Plague was in England, and Cambridge University closed down and sent its students home, and there was this young man sat in his garden, working, studying, and an apple fell from the tree, and that was a Sir Isaac Newton. Working from home happened 400 years ago. So let's not say this is new, we don't need to adapt to this. So unconventional COVID and the unconventional thinking is, this is not about normal. COVID proved that the way we think is very traditional, is very yesterday, and we're not forward thinking. I do agree with you on that because I do not work from home now in my full-time job, but for the last, for 10 years prior, I worked from home and I managed a team who was also working from home all over the country. And it just, that was how we did it. So I agree with you that uh, for me, when COVID came and it was like, well, yes, I'm used to sitting on my couch and managing my time and knowing what to do and when to do it and how to do it and all that good stuff. So has it been frustrating for you at all to hear people complain about a lot of the restrictions that came about related to COVID when really you have been living this life for a really long time for a reason so deep and ingrained in you and Wendy and your guys' life together that you just have had to come to live with anyway? I, I used to be quite reserved when I answered that, when I used to answer that question. And I'm not going to be reserved when I answer that question. Go good, forward. good. Not because it's us. Um, we are what, Wendy's business and my business is, and Wendy's a, a certified resilience coach, right? A qualified certified resilience coach. Our businesses are booming at the moment. But our businesses are booming because we've been consistent in what we do for the last 10 to 15 years. It's not an overnight success. Mm -hmm. But I'm also conscious that there's some businesses and some people that are struggling immensely, immensely as well. Okay, so I want to recognize, mm -hmm. I want to recognize that. Uh, there's also some businesses that when, who are coping, and there's a lot of fakeness. I think what surprised me personally is there's a lot of fakeness. Uh, people driving in nice houses, living in nice houses, living in nice cars when, you know, the business shuts down for one month and they've suddenly got no money. Mm -hmm. So they're living, they're living through the Instagram. They're not living in reality. Right. Uh, so the, we, we've got that. The, the thing that shocked me about COVID was the amount of people that decided that they had to pivot. Now, pivot to me is changing your business. If, and this is a lot to do with business plans because business plans, when you get a business plan, you say, what did we do last year? And we go, uh, well, let's put another 10% on it this year, 15% a year after. And, it's, and you get the business plan and you put it in the ground, in the bottom drawer. Mm -hmm. I've never, I've not written a business plan for 15 years. I, I go and I, this is what I do with my clients. I don't know about coaching, but everything we do, and even with that charity that we run, we look where we want to be in seven years and we start living that year now. Mm -hmm. and we start networking to that year now and we run on 30, 60, 90 days. That's how we want. And everything we do is very accountable. So I think people have started to think about, well, what are we doing? Well, what is Gordon doing? What's Wendy doing? What's Gordon doing that's slightly different? It is out of the box for some people. Mm -hmm. That's probably, and it's taking some people quite a long time. We're going to go back to normal. We're not going to go back to normal. I don't know what we're going to go to, but you've got to release the shackles of the pathway of thinking and you've got to do something. 
Okay, don't know what that something is because everyone's different. But you've got to, you can't think that what you can run your business like you did. It's 12 months ago. And to mm-hmm. give you a side issue, you know, I'm about to launch a business with some, with some uh, a couple of business acquaintances. We started that in August and we'll launch it next week. Wow. If we would have, and it's a te- technology business, if we would have started this three years ago, it would have taken us about two years to develop. That's how fast the world's moved in the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's become cheaper. What we would have cost us half a million dollars was it's probably going to cost us about $50,000 to launch. So the world's moved immensely. So I think the opportunity we have today is the greatest opportunity that anyone of my generation, and I'd go all the way down to Gen Z, and I was even saying, look at Gen A's mm-hmm. that are coming through now. Those are the six to seven, eight, nine, ten year olds. The opportunities that are approaching now, we won't get another opportunity like that in our lifetime. In our lifetime, I feel motivated already. Just, just listening to you, very motivational. Let's go back to when Wendy got sick, and you said you know things had to change very quickly in your lives. How long into your relationship did that happen? Uh, our lives changed within about three months when we first started dating. Okay. So her mum had breast cancer. We met in 90, late 98. Mum had breast cancer. In 99, it wasn't going away. It was going to get worse. We were living together because we knew it was right. We thought, I'm not messing around mm-hmm. with this. I'm going to catch this one. This one's not going anywhere. Don't know whether she thought the same about me, but I'm not going to let it go that <laughs> one. We went to the UK, got engaged, came back, had an engagement party, and mum passed away September 2000. So it hit straight straight away. It probably hit us about, with the Wendy's illness, a couple of years later, probably 2003, when we were on holiday and she was, we were walking on the beach and she was having problems breathing. I said, here, have some ventilating. Nothing really happened. I went, well, that's a bit strange. We got home. She wanted to lose some weight. And she was on Weight Watchers and she was losing weight, but she wasn't getting fitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then one day we were, because we're on this corporate grape train, you know, mm-hmm. we're not doing our nine till five, you know, she's there at six o'clock and mm-hmm. eight o'clock and going, Wendy's not home yet. Wendy's not home. And she walked up some, she walked up a car ramp because instead the lift was broken and she collapsed. Banged the head. They got in the car and drove home. <laughs> like you do. Um, and from that moment, in about three months, we've seen uh, oncologists, cardiologists, uh, the right place at the right time. Our, our local GP, someone who was uh, who'd done a lot of reading, knew something was wrong. We needed had blood clots from flying in business, oh, in wow. economy business, and first class. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter what end, what end of the plane she's she's lying in, she still gets a blood clot. Right. Something something was wrong, and it literally got so. At least she, you know, when we saw the cardiologist, the test they did, they stopped. She got us to see the transplant team, which we treatment at the Alfred Hospital of Melbourne, who are world leaders, and sat down with a doctor, and Helen turned around to us and said, "Look, you've got primary pulmonary hypertension. Uh, I know you don't think you'd be sick, but if you don't do what we did." say you're going to be dead in six months. 
And I went, that's okay. I, can I go back to work now because I've got to do an IPO and Wendy's got to write a policy, HR policy. And she goes, you listen to what we say. So like very blunt. Got back to work and our life changed at that moment. Our life changed at that moment. Lots of questions about why. Mm-hmm. Uh, dad's going, is it my fault? Is it Jean's fault? No, it's just the wrong lottery numbers. Um, lots of questions like, well, can we buy a set of lungs? Because like, just, right. What do we do? How do you get to the top of the tree? What needs to happen? So our life changed from that moment. 18th of December, 2006. It's amazing how things stick in your head with dates. Mm-hmm. 2, 2 a.m. in the morning, we've been out for dinner. And he was drunk because I drove. The phone goes. I'm thinking, that's my brother in the UK. Now it's a hospital. Do you want to set the lungs? Yeah, okay. Yeah, when he goes in and... She should spend 14 days in ICU, 35, 36 days afterwards. She comes out of ICU. The next two to three years, she's in and out of hospital. Uh, a lot of severe depression and anger from her. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one really thinking about me. Everyone's bringing up going, how's Wendy, how's Wendy, how's Wendy? And I'm trying to hold down a, a, a massive job mm-hmm. uh, in a large financial services firm with global team. No one's asking who I am. Uh, our life just, so when we laughed about it before, and you know, this love and health, through sickness and health when you get married, mm-hmm. you know, read the small print. <laughs> <laughs> Not that it would have changed anything, but oh my God. Um, so, so our life has changed drastically from that. Our outlook and life has changed to the point today where we don't leave anything for chance. I mean, this is, this is about, and it's all about, about how you approach I me, mean, how you approach life. And I'm going to go all over the place. So stop me where you're going to go in. And I'm, I'm loving it. So keep going. So they tell you when they, great, you need a lung transplant. Great, we're going to give you a lung transplant. But the next thing they tell you is the average, the average life expectancy of someone who has a lung transplant is seven years. So, okay. So we found a match. When he had one chance at a lung transplant, it was because she's had a few other things. She's, she's called a golden patient because she's got lupus, shoguns, primary pulmonary hypertension, arthritis, osteopenia, two other things as well. So, right, medical journals about her all over the place. Mm-hmm. So we've got one chance for her. No one's ever operated on someone like this before. Uh, and she got the lungs from a nun, believe it or not. So, not religious. I don't even know how to cross, but thank you. <laughs> if you're even watching, thank you, whatever you do. But that's got to um, be a good sign, right? That's got to be a good sign. Um, <laughs> So we go through all this process. You know, I remember being in ICU and looking at Wendy, you know, and things like, you know, all these things are bleeping and I faint and they were just, they just rolled me over. No one cares about me. No one cares about me. Uh-huh. And it's not about me, but it is about me. But when they tell you you've got seven years, you think you're going through all this motion and you've only got seven years average after that. What we've learned through science, through setting up our medical foundation is it's an average and the average is of all lung transplants. Okay. And everyone in the world values what is a successful transplant at different times. So in America, how you value a successful transplant is different to in Australia. Sometimes it's when you leave the operating theater. Sometimes it's when you leave ICU. Sometimes when it's one year post-transplant. So it's an average and everything's different. And if it's an average, it means some people survive one hour and some people have survived 26 years. Mm-hmm. This also includes those people that have lung transplants and then decide to smoke, right? Or decide to mm-hmm. go and have get blind in the sun. And you can't mm-hmm. do that. So when you trip about the average, you go, 
actually stop comparing yourself to everyone else and start running your own race. Be your be the only one in your race. Mm-hmm. Wendy's now fourteen years, fifteen years post transplant. Brilliant, because you live your own you live your own race. Stop your comparing. Stop the averages. Just live your own race. A bit like COVID. This is what you can't do when you have a transplant. You can't have tattoos. You can't eat shellfish in a shellfish. You can't eat cured meat like salamis. You can't eat blue cheeses. You can't go and lie in the sun because some of the drugs are receptive to sun. Right? Don't do that. If you do that, you're going to die. Right? What happens with COVID? Right? Don't do this or I shall die. <laughs> right? This is what medical science tells you to do. It's pretty uh, easy. Pretty easy. So through all this, through all this stuff we went did, the, the hardest thing for me in any suffered is that no one cares about me. Mm-hmm. But I'm there, now the bread the breadwinner. Don't really know what to do. No one really knows my situation. I don't know how to care for Wendy. So when Wendy is suicidal, do I just let her be suicidal? What do I do? How do I cope with it? When I'm going through depression, no one calls me. Um, felt very lonely. Felt outside the box. Almost felt like I was looking into my life instead of being in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sat there going, oh, Wendy's got six years, well, six years post-transplant. She's going to die next year because that's the average. What's my life going to be like? How hard was it for you to deal with the fact that nobody cared about you or that's how it felt? And did you feel guilty for feeling that way? Um, Looking back now, I've got a lot of anger. And... Angering myself more than anything, angering myself for not shouting out that I wanted, that I needed help. But I think also because it took me time to, I was more, dis- I'd be more disappointed that other people couldn't see it in me that I needed help, that I had to find help for myself to recognize mm-hmm. it. And it's not because I'm a, I'm a male, I'm a bloody minded or anything like that. I just didn't recognize the signals for it of these experts. But an instance came that uh, where I was looking for work and I couldn't find work in Melbourne. Um, I had jobs offered in Europe, in Asia, but I couldn't go because I need to, when you needed to be in Melbourne. And I was positively discriminated on. Apparently, I'm male. Apparently, I'm white, and I'm over 40. Well, thanks for telling me that. And I was actually told, if I'm female, if I'm 32, right, I would have the job. And my argument is, so you're going to put a female in the role because you need to get your diversity numbers up, knowing that, the female you're going to pick is number four on the list because number two and number three are my best friends. They're not going to apply for the job. They actually want to go work for me mm-hmm. when I get the job. But to your diversity number, you're going to put a female in and serve your clients with the fourth best person. When that thing happened, which when I drove across the, we've got a bridge in Melbourne called the West Case, a bit like the Golden Gate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where I thought the only solution for me because there's none around to help me was to jump off the bridge and, when it takes the insurance money. Obviously, I didn't jump because I'm here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it took me five, five and a half trips over the bridge to work that out. And that was my turning point that I needed. Uh, 
I need help. And I turned through to a friend who has done, uh, who done, it's funny, every time I do a podcast, people pass the office and go, you're free. And I'm going, no, mate, I've got my lights on. <laughs> <It's> like, <yeah. laughs> they, don't, they don't come before, they don't come afterwards, but just to get back, um, I spoke to a friend who has done, been in the special services, special mm-hmm. forces, knows what it's like, right? No point me sitting in an office, sitting in a room, talking to a medical trained mm-hmm. person because they don't get me. Mm-hmm. And really sorted out my shit and realized that it was okay to be to be where I am and what I am. And hearing that from an ordinary person that they get me has probably been the most powerful thing that I've I've heard in a long time. I think that's why it's so important that we do things like this because there's going to be that person out there that hears your story and thinks the exact same thing of, wow, this guy gets me or I'm going through something so similar and I'm not alone. But what did that time on the bridge feel like and what in those five plus trips back and forth flip that switch for you to say, no, this is not the way there is another path. At the time, it seemed like an eternity. It seemed like just time had slowed going backwards and forward over that, over, over, over this bridging. One thing you talk, we talked about, past, I want to come back because I'm going to, we'll come on to the duck because the duck's a key part of this. Yes. There's an important thing about being unconventional and how I learn. So I've never wanted to do woodwork or metalwork. These fingers are not handy people, right? But I've always wanted to be a chef. And at school, apparently I'm male, and I can't do cooking because that's for females, so I have to do woodwork <laughs> and metalwork. I said, look, don't teach me about cars because my, my, my family's been in the car business since I was dark. I can, you know, I can help why I can about three seconds. So, but I want to cook. No, you can't cook because you're female. Hmm. So... That is, so, so my life has been unconventional. When you sit at conferences and you see these Olympic champions and they go, you know, I get up at four o'clock in the morning and I train for 16 hours, seven days a week. Well, I'm the one eating burger and chips. I'm going, well, that ain't me. But when I see someone get up there who's just an ordinary person like me from an ordinary lifestyle who's done something quite remarkable, I go, shit, I relate to that. And mm-hmm. that's, what I, that's what I do. That's why I do these podcasts, right? I do. I got another business where I get paid, and I get paid handsomely. But this is about Gordon. You're just an. I just. I'm just an ordinary person. And what I want to do is, I, I, I help ordinary people do extraordinary, meaningful things every single day. And if that extraordinary thing today is someone going, I am actually okay. I am actually okay, Gordon. I need to chat with you wherever you are in the world. I'll have a chat with you, and that person doesn't jump. I'm not going to put a capital price on that. That's priceless. Mm. That is my life. That is my life done. So I think as an ordinary people, we've got to stop looking up to these superstars and saying we want to be a superstar. We've got to start looking at ordinary people and going, if they can, I can. Mm-hmm. Right? If you have the desire and the belief in you, we have the belief in you. But you've got to have the desire in you first because I can't put the desire in you. Right. I can have more belief in you and I can see what you can achieve. And once we get rid of the shit around your brain, and you can see the clarity, you'll see it because we're outside your noise. 
mm-hmm. then we can get you there. But you've got to have the desire. You've got to, you've got to make the first step across that road to say, I'm on the journey. Right. And if you take that first step, then people will follow you. That's, so that's the first thing. Mm. So what stopped me jumping off the bridge? Well, a little rubber duck. We'll send you a little rubber duck. So I have a little rubber duck and he's called Banffin. He's got blue and he's a superhero and he's all over the website. He's got his own Instagram account. <laughs> we don't have kids. Because of Wendy's health, we, we could never have kids. And we don't like taking pictures of ourselves. So we had this rubber duck that we used to take away and take pictures. Now, we think we're quite unusual. But tell you what, when you get your rubber duck out, everyone else gets their giraffe out, their frog out. Right? <laughs> everyone's going, everyone's going, right? It's amazing. <laughs> people have got stuff. And he's called Banffy because... When Wendy was six years post-transplant, we had the holiday of a lifetime. And that holiday of a lifetime was five months in Europe, three months in Italy, two months in France. It was a super six-star holiday, mm-hmm. first class, staying at chateaus, castles, no expense claim, because she was going to die the next year because that's the average. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. idea was we'd have a massive holiday, don't worry about the expense, we'd come back, next year she dies, her insurance pays out and her or the equivalent of her 401 gets mm-hmm. paid out. So that pays for it. Right? Great. So we have a fantastic holiday of a lifetime. We stay in this place in Tuscany uh, and um, called Castello Banfi. So we've named the duck after Banfi because it was a beautiful place. And that's where Wendy said, I don't want to die. I want to live. I want to make every day count. So when I was driving over the Westgate Bridge, little Banfi mm-hmm. was on the car seat next to me and I looked down at Banffy and I, I remember those words from Wendy and I knew if I was jumping what I was left behind mm-hmm. and Wendy said it doesn't matter how bad we get we've come this far we just need to make sure that every single day counts and that was and that was it and that's what I did then that's that's how I've lived my life to making sure that every single day counts that's why if someone's toxic I don't have it. If you're an anti-vaxxer, great. Have your own views. But I don't need to see your posts over my Facebook screen, so I'll block you. I don't need it. I don't have anti. I don't have toxic people, any, including family members, mm-hmm. in my life. I don't know why I'm so happy sat here. Because I don't have anyone. I don't speak to people I don't want to speak to. I'm in control of my time. And I, my time is the most important thing I have. And I want to make sure that people I'm going to invest it with Respect the time I'm getting. Respect our time together. So, little Banfi, little duck, saved me from jumping off the bridge, and he's with me twenty four seven. There's always three of us in bed. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know we were going to get that kid. Keep on that. <laughs> that is fantastic. Does he have like his own little pillow and? cover yeah. or he has it you know he, he has his he has his own so the original banffy the original rubber duck is is in a glass case in, in my office okay uh, he comes out when i speak to him he's, he's very precious to us um but you know it's amazing i go around and people you know the map people just ask for ducks ask for rubber ducks just want a duck can i have a duck can i have a duck can i have a duck mm-hmm. um it is it's a talking point of not about my coaching business it's 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 about overcoming adversity in your way mm-hmm. that suits you, not the way a textbook tells you to do it. And I think that's really important that we over, we live our life the way that we want to live our life, not because a textbook tells us to live, live that life. What was that moment like 
when Wendy said, you know what? I don't, I don't want to be the average. I don't want to die next year. I want to live every day to its fullest. What was that moment like for you to, to flip the script as well and say, oh, okay, she's not going to die next year, or maybe she's not. And now let's, let's really live our lives every single day. So, she's, so Tuscany was the start of the holiday, and I went, yeah, okay, well, let's do it. Okay, so the budget went out the window for the holiday we had, right? Mm-hmm. Even though we had a budget and we were spending, that went out the window, we were going to live like. When we sat on the plane coming back, we were leaving Paris, and she turned around to me and she said to me again, she said, Gordon, I've got some good news and bad news for you. I'm going, shit, please don't die in France because that's really going to stuff up my insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Stick around with it. And then she goes, what? She goes, I've had that holiday of a lifetime. I says, okay. And she, then I said, well, go on. And I said, what's the bad news? She goes, I am not, I'm not going to die. I'm going to live forever. And I had someone my voice. I went, what do you mean you're not going to bloody die? That was a game. You're going to bloody die. <laughs> and all the stewardesses are coming along. Going, Who's dying? Who's dying? My wife decided not to die. My wife decided not to die. It was like, it was like I think, yeah, now I'm going to pay for this bloody holiday. <laughs> now I'm not uh, going to have the insurance or the 401k. Yeah. yeah. Damn it. Hit me in the small print again. Uh, so I think. We came back, we had that mindset, that's what we're going to do. And we keep ourselves accountable to do that. Mm-hmm. So we have a bucket list. Our bucket, we're on our sixth or seventh bucket list. We've done, we've been to Vegas. We, we spent three weeks in Vegas. No one ever spends three weeks in Vegas. We they do not. Weeks. We've been shooting. <laughs> we've been playing, I went to a bit of poker tournament. I met Elvis, right? We did the whole Whitechapel thing. All of it. The, the whole the whole gamut of things I've done. Bay, I've done the I've, we've done the Grand Canyon. We've eaten at restaurants where there's been four people only in the restaurants. We've done exquisite things. We've done spent time together. We have a bucket list every single week. Okay, every single week we do something. It doesn't have to be massive. It doesn't have to be hundreds of that. It can be every fortnight we have a date night where the mobiles goes off and we spend. I know it sounds weird. Two and a half hours together, just talking. That's it. That's in our bucket list. We do that. So our life is, our life is so rich today of um, experiences, mm-hmm. but what I class as priceless experiences, but not money experiences. I think that's really, really important. We've gone. We've dropped all our. Uh, material things, so we don't live in that super duper house, and we don't have those super duper cars. We live in a, a small apartment. We, we enjoy life's pleasures, not life's materials. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we do. And it's, um, it's a journey I never thought I was on. And it's a journey that I say that when I was in the, the corporate world, I was cash rich and passion poor. Mm-hmm. It was all about the money. Now I'm passion rich and the rest just takes care of itself. Tell me about how that feels emotionally different because I know there are a lot of people who, oh, if I just had more money, I would be happy. Oh, if I just money, you know, could buy my happiness because it would do this, that, or the other. So talk to me about having that cash rich life. And now not saying you don't have a cash rich life, but you're focused more on the experiences and the people and the energy in your life versus the money? I, the type of people in my life today are a lot more genuine, a, a genuine, authentic. You meet a certain people around money mm-hmm. that are centered around money, doing it. So 
the the life today we have is uh, you're right. You know, it's passion. I'm not saying we don't have money, and there's things that we want to do that needs means that my passion has to be more purposeful to, to generate that. But I follow the people. So when you talk to people, it's about who we are, not what we are to start with. Mm-hmm. I want to know who you are. I don't care what you do. I don't care you're a great lawyer or an accountant. I want to know who you are. I want to know, am I going to have a Tinder date with you or is this going to be a long-lasting relationship? Mm-hmm. Right, if it's a Tinder date, I don't need it. Right, I'm after long-lasting relationships. That's what I want. I want to know the quality of the person around you. I don't want the bullshit. I don't want the bullshit. I want the laughter. I want the tears. I want the honesty. I just find that because you live this life and you, you purposely live it this life, all that crap mm-hmm. just this just windows away. You don't purposely go out and go, Claudia, I don't want to talk to you any longer because you're toxic, right? You're not, by the way. Um, Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> because your actions means that you're no longer in my network, so you just you just generally you just naturally fade away because you start mm-hmm. surrounding yourself. Ninety nine percent of the people you start surrounding yourself with are those nice people you want to surround. Mm-hmm. So. People I knew five years ago, not necessarily in my book any longer. I'm not, I'm not necessarily around. So I'm buzzing. Right? I'm, I'm on. I'm on life. I'm on the drug of life. Mm-hmm. Right? I am on the drug of life. Um, so those people that say they go, can I do this? Can I do that? I don't have a passion. You do have a passion. You're not. Not everyone around here wants to build a hospital. Oh, I'm gonna say fuck it. Oh, fuck it. You know, Ten years ago, I didn't think I was gonna buy a build a hospital either. Mm-hmm. I'm not asking people to, to for money to build a hospital. I'm telling people I'm building a hospital. Do you want to come on the journey? Right. Yes, I need $20, $30, 200000000 dollars, but I'm building the hospital. I will. The money will come because of who, because of the people I'm gathering along the way. Mm-hmm. So get that passion and work that passion. Work out what you want. Just be yourself. Get rid of the Instagram. Get rid of the Facebook. Just be who you are and who you want people to think you are, right? And who you want people to think you are is actually who you are, not who you think you think people want to think you are. It's one of those Daniel, Donald Rusman things. You don't right. know what you don't know when you don't know what you don't know. Just be your bloody self. Stop mm-hmm. trying to fake the bloody world. Just be your bloody self, right? Why do you think that's so hard for so many people? I think it's hard... I think it's hard because parents who are my age grew up in a world without technology mm-hmm. and our parents were able to educate us on the rights and wrong because they had their experiences. Because we've never had the technology of is, we don't know how to control the next generation. We don't, we've got no insights to tell the next generation. So when information is flowing so quickly and things are flowing so quickly, we don't have the insight. We don't have the insight experience to tell tell them. So the next generation will learn from the generation below that. Why we believe that money's easy? I think there's a general feeling that we still think that money's easy. Mm-hmm. And we still think you know you only have to look at it. Only fans have gone through the roof. But there's some right. middle aged there's some middle aged guys, fifty six years old, fifty four years old, in, in blue lycra shorts in Sydney, earning twenty thousand dollars a month with photos with films. Right. Good luck to him. Right. Good for him. Good for him. Now, you can't say that's not a business because you're generating $2 million a year. Mm-hmm. $200,000, $400,000 a year, right? It's cash. You can't say that's not, you can't say that's not a job. He's getting paid more than some high-end executives. Um, so I think our world's changing. And again, it comes back to the fact that we're still living in how the world was. 
the world has changed. COVID has changed. We've adopted technology really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. 95% of consumer decisions are now being made through technology before we even speak to a human being. So we don't get the time to talk to someone about something. It's, it, we first do, we go to, we go to Facebook mm-hmm. and they send you a letter and say, hey, can I be in your podcast? What do I do? I was on Facebook and saw it. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think the way we interact as human beings has changed. We've also had a greater level of acceptance. So things we accept today in our life, my parents would have never, I would never dreamed of this being accepted now. In fact, in a way, in a way I'm glad in a way I'm not a father because mm-hmm. I don't know what type of father would be. I don't know if I could cope being a father in today's world because technology, technology, technology drives it. But out of all that, at the end of the day, you can have all the fakeness you want on, on, on technology, but when we meet each other, I just want to know it's you. Mm-hmm. I want to know the person I see on Facebook is you, which you are. <laughs> Big tick. Yes. <clears throat> do you think that for some people, do you think people sometimes look at you crazy when you say that of like, I just want to know you, like let the fluff go. I don't care what you do. I care about who you are. But for so many people who are so ingrained in, you know, I am what I do for a living. I am what car I drive, what clothes I wear. Do you think people ever look at you kind of crazy? Like, wow, is this guy for real? Like he, he just wants to know who I am and not all that other shit that most people seem to care about. I'm pretty sure they do. And I don't mind it. There's 8 billion people in the world. I'm happy that 4 billion don't like me. Let's get that. Let's get those four billion out of the way. Out the four, the four billion in the world, I only, I only want a small percentage to like me. But and it's not about, um, it's not about not liking me. And I'm going to get a quote because this is a quote that a client said to their daughter, and I've used it, and it, it, it came so naturally to her. And I want to use it because it, it, it's so relevant to, to to what you just said. So bear with me mm-hmm. one second because I'm going to get it because it is absolutely. Um, it says, and this is what she said, it doesn't matter they said no, you are awesome, they're just too blind to see it. This was said to a mother of the 13-year-old who missed out on her first job. She went for a job at McDonald's and missed out on it. Her first job, and she was so devastated that she didn't get the job at McDonald's. That's what my mother said. I've used that quote so many times to people and think I'm interested. I said, it's not my answer client. I said, I'm trying to get the client to, to trademark it. And I think that's the thing that you have to believe in yourself that what you have, you are, you are a good person. Not everyone mm-hmm. is a good person in the world. We know that through history. Mm-hmm. But generally, 95, 99% of us are good people. Just be yourself and believe you are awesome. Every single day, there's this bordered guy that turns around to me every morning. He goes, Gordon, you're awesome. It's my, me and my mirror. Right? Someone every single day tells me I'm awesome. We are awesome. Believe in yourself that you're awesome. If you believe in yourself, you're, but you go out and you just be natural mm-hmm. yourself, people will attract you. Do people not get me? Yeah, people don't get me. I mean, you can see I'm blue. My, my brand is all blue, right? Blue. I mean, do you get me? No, I, carry, I walk a blue yellow duck in the pocket. <laughs> but the amount of people that stop me, mm-hmm. but yeah, the amount of times I get the yellow duck out in, a, in a, an airport lounge, people go, what's with the yellow duck? And I tell them the story about how mm-hmm. they're jumping off a bridge. Do you think they're intrigued? Do you think they want to know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you do now? I, you know, I, I get paid to go to restaurants, to 
with this yellow rubber duck, I get paid you know, to travel the world and speak about a yellow rubber duck. When you go to a conference and everyone gives you a pen and a water bottle, what do you do with a pen and a water bottle? You throw it away, mm-hmm. right? You take a rubber duck home or back to the office. Do people come to you and say, what's with the yellow rubber duck? How do I get yellow rubber duck? Yeah, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Am I a bit crazy? No, my business is about networking, about being individual, about being memorable, and that's what a yellow duck does. But don't take away, and I struggle with this until uh, a very, very good friend of mine, a lady called Collette Wording, who helped me rebrand. Um, the duck started becoming a bit of a gimmick, and I didn't want it to be a gimmick. Mm-hmm. And that's how we spent a lot of time understanding how the duck had impacted my life and how it became my superhero for life. And we've all got a superhero. We've all, you know, I don't care if it's a phone, a calculator, a rug. We've all got something that's a a superhero that we cling to that is our superpower about why we're doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Right? Just tell your story. We're human beings and we're naturally interested and drawn to, to stories from other people. Not lies, stories about other people because that's how we learn. Mm-hmm. We didn't learn from textbook caveman. How do we learn hunting? Because we followed the hunt masters. We didn't pick up a book and read it. We actually went and experienced it. So there right. is no... There is no book out today that tells you how to run business in a post-pandemic world of the 21st century. There is no book. Mm-hmm. The book has got blank sheets. So start writing it. To 18 months ago, to have a network marketing business or side hustle was thought, oh, you're not successful. Well, the number of six and seven-figure earners I know who've left their corporate world and now do this as a business, mm-hmm. right? Right. to think that you keep picking a caravan or an RV and go traveling and not have an office, right? it's not working from home anywhere. It's working from anywhere. Right. That's that the world we live in. We're never going to go back to having a full 100% capacity in offices. Right. It doesn't matter where my team is. Right. They can get it done from anywhere. Yeah. I think that that situation has also lent itself to hopefully have people be able to value experiences more. Because they can be anywhere. So they have more opportunity to have experiences in life versus going to the office and coming home and going to the office and coming home and going to the office and coming home. So is that something that you instill in your team is the value of experience over most everything else? Absolutely. My business today, I'm getting asked more from businesses, who do I know in my network for the, a role? And they don't want to know about the technical experience. They come to me because they want to know the person. Who is the person? Who is the person that I'm bringing into? What are the qualities of that person? Not the technical skills. Mm-hmm. Tell me about how they're going to fit. Tell me about the culture. Tell them how, the, how they fit in. They're not asking me for a male or a female or a blonde or a brunette, a bald guy, you know, six foot four. They're asking me about mm-hmm. an individual. Mm-hmm. And I think that culture, I can teach you technical. We can go to university, we can pick up a book, I can do YouTube. We can learn technical. You can't learn, learn life skills. You know, I was bullied mm-hmm. three days, three times a day at school from the age of 11 to 15. Three days, right? From a very, I was in a school of two and a half thousand kids where we had one, we, we think it's Chinese, but we don't know. We think it was an Indian, but we don't know. It's from there. Mm-hmm. We think we had one Muslim. We don't know. Yeah, she was Sikh, but we called it Muslim because we didn't know we had one Jew. 
right? The rest were white, mm-hmm. white power, white people, right? Mm-hmm. Guess who are the four people that got bullied every day? We learn from culture. We learn from society. This is what we, this is what people want to know. Your your experience of things you things you've done, and that's why I feel thirty because I think what I did when I was a young kid, what I did when I'm in my twenties, uh, and travelled and did stuff and experienced stuff is you can't get away from that human, that human stuff. Now you, know, you think about when you sit in the boardroom, you sit around friends. Even now, when you see it on social media, you see people arguing about being a vaxxer, anti vaxxer, and you see that you're. You're seeing the personality. You're seeing who they really are, mm-hmm. the rawness of them. You go, really? Is that the type of person? Really? Just because they're like red instead of blue? Are you going to say that about them? Uh, so I think the human side of people is, is is a number one factor that's going to make us grow. Mm-hmm. Come on, it's not going to be our technical. It's not because you've got a great podcast. It's because what you bring out people. You've got a great podcast. <laughs> oh, Gordon. <laughs> Tell me some wellness advice that you would give out to the audience. I strongly believe that there is a the yin and yang is your physical and mental ability, is health. I don't think you can have one without it. There's no point being mentally. I don't think you can be mentally strong, mm-hmm. but so you 100 pounds overweight. Mm-hmm. Right? It needs to be a bit about the wellness is find what suits you. So the gym doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the gyms don't work because the gyms are closed in Melbourne right now, but that doesn't work. So I, lo- <laughs> I love walking. So I walk 15K three times a week. Wow. So 15K, what's that? Uh, nine-ish miles. Nine-ish miles. Two and a half. Mm-hmm. takes me about two hours. I mean, I'm not that fast a walker. Uh, 17,000 steps. It's my time away. It's my health time away. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been overweight for a long time. So I used to do a lot of sports. Because I was doing a lot of sports, I used to eat a lot of pasta. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one ever told me that when I stopped doing sports, I shouldn't eat the same amount of pasta. I <laughs> <laughs> kind of forgot about that. <laughs> I just kept on eating the same amount of pasta. Um, so I had problems losing weight. So I went through my psychologist, through to a testosterone. She's actually a sexologist specialist, says mm-hmm. my testosterone, too, is that. Ended up with a, a diabetic uh, dietitian, so pre-diabetes. Mm-hmm. And what I love about Cam is he's not trying to stop me living my life. He understands that because of my business, I have lunches. Right? But what we are doing is getting a better understanding of food. Mm-hmm. So I don't weigh myself. But I'm now three belt holes down. Nice. So wellness for me is that mental agility to do things that suits suits who you who, who you are. Mm-hmm. Again, it's about when you do things that are right for you. But do things consistent and do things. Don't try to kid yourself. You got two choices with wellness. You can wait till you have that heart attack and you line on the table and say, Tomorrow I'm mm-hmm. gonna be get healthy. Or you can try not to be on that table. I and like option decide, B. And if you like option B, then do something that suits you. I'm not going to climb Mount Everest. Right, don't give me that. Um, I'm not going to run another marathon. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do martial arts, any more martial arts. I need to do something that fits into my time that I have, mm-hmm. that I can do two things a week 
if I do three or four, it's a bonus, but I got, I've got to commit to two. I want to know more about my food. I do a little bit of Pilates, found Pilates quite, for someone who's not that agile, I thought Pilates was quite interesting, mm-hmm. but I realized how bloody hard work it is. And I went, yes. shit, right, okay, let's do this one. With Pilates, so I actually gave mm-hmm. a, one lesson to my wife for Valentine's. Mm-hmm. And she then found out it was easier to book um, uh, a book of 10. Mm-hmm. So she went and bought a book of 10. I went, what have you done uh-huh. 10 for? Right. She goes, well, it's cheaper to do 10 than it was one. I thought I'd just gone book 10. I went, bloody hell, okay. <laughs> so we do things. So I think wellness is is that. The other part of wellness is about surrounding yourself with people. And I, I will talk a little bit about business because I think it's important. I have a bit, I have a framework called the airplane, the airport system. Mm-hmm. Rather, and networking is about building, putting people on the airplane. But before you put people in the airplane, think about yourself as the plane at the airport. And that is your ecosystem. And I talk about how we wellness is it. And we've got to surround ourselves with people that support us. And I think the Americans are brilliant at this. They're probably the best at this than anyone in the world. Because you often hear about you've got a fitness instructor, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a dentist, a doctor. That's your circle and network that look that you go, you go to. Mm-hmm. And now the rest of the world think you're a bunch of quacks and everything because you need all these specialists and these care. But actually... What you're saying is I am getting mentally fit and physically fit so I can invest my time in everyone else. It's the old oxygen mask. Right. Right. Yeah. So look after yourself first before you look at There's no point. And that's what I've learned through Wendy. I've got to look after myself. If Wendy's going to live ages, mm-hmm. I, the best thing I can do, the doctors say this to me, the best thing I can do in order to look after Wendy is make sure I'm fit and healthy. Because if I'm not fit and healthy, I'm going to be no good looking after Mm-hmm. After so wellness is that yin and yang. It has to be that physical and that mental. And I'm yet to find something that so I need to find one person who can't do something physically and mentally. Again, it comes back to what we talked about an hour ago. If you don't have the belief in you and the desire in you, mm-hmm. no one's going to help you. But if yes. you have the, if you have the desire in you. People gravitate to help you. But I'm not going to invest my time in you if you can't be asked to get out of bed on time. Yeah. Show up. Show up for yourself. (laughs) Throw some relationship advice at me because the wellness advice was amazing. So what relationship advice would you give... To the masses. One thing Wendy and I decided at the very beginning is we would never go to bed angry. Um, We've argued about who's unpacking the dishwasher. We've argued about how we hang clothes up on the washing line. We've never argued about anything else. Oh, no. We argued once when I got the menu wrong in Europe. And I spent an absolute shitload on some food because I was priced it. (laughs) But we never go to bed angry. We never go to bed angry with with each other Mm -hmm. and never go to bed angry with the world. And angry means disappointed. Mm -hmm. Never ever do that. So that's one. On your network and your friends and relationship, I find this really simple. And I don't want to be like, but if you don't like someone, don't surround yourself. Don't surround yourself with them. Right? Who would you invite? If you had a dinner party for six at home, who would you invite? If you had a dinner party for 30, who would you invite? If you had a dinner party for 50, who would you invite? Like the rest, take or leave it. Mm-hmm. 
if you don't like being with someone, don't be with someone. But it's personal business. If you don't like your job, right, you can leave. Well, how you do it is different, but you can leave. There's absolutely nothing in this world today that you can't do. 12 months ago, we weren't talking about humans, ordinary people, slightly wealthy, but ordinary people traveling to the edge of, edge of space. Mm-hmm. Right? Today, we're talking about this. Right? That wasn't possible 12 months ago. It's possible today. So from a relationship perspective, do what you want to do. And those that say no are saying no because they're not ready for your journey. But do it. Live no regrets. Do you want to die and have that, that gravestone of yours? What if? There will be no worse. But it's, my dad passed away three years ago, 2018. We cancer. I spent the last 18 months looking after him. And the week beforehand, we sat down and we said, you know, do we have any regrets? And there's absolutely no regrets whatsoever. Mum passed away 12 months uh, in August. was mm-hmm. just gone. Uh, very, dad has a very slow death. Mum had a very, very quick death. Uh, and again, when mum was sat down and she goes, have I given you a great life? I said, you give me a life that has got no regrets. Mum's a war, a war refugee. Mm-hmm. Uh, a life with no regrets. Have you done everything you want to do? I said, I don't know whether I've done everything I want to do, but there's no hole in my life with you, mum, of something I haven't done with you. Because mm-hmm. I don't know have I done everything I want to do. Well, probably not, but right. I don't know. Not yet. But there's no hole of, there's mm-hmm. no, damn, I wish I would have done that. Right. So from from a wellness, from a relationship, and you know, when we talk about relationship, we often talk about relationship with other people. Mm-hmm. I think it's important about the relationship you have with yourself. Right. Okay. So are you going to go to bed every night and say, I'm happy with today? It's okay to say I'm not happy with today. You know, today didn't go quite the way I wanted to do. Um, that's important. To me, I think that's young. You, you, you've got to be happy with you. And if you're not happy with you, tell people you're not happy with you and get help. Don't sit mm-hmm. in the corner and just go, you know, because you're not, unfortunately, you're not that special because right. we've all been there. We've all mm-hmm. been there. We've all been in the valley, that dark valley. But it's how you get out of that dark valley that's really important and let mm-hmm. people share their own experiences so you can learn from their experiences and adapt it to your own situation and do it for yourself. Yes. I feel like you could just drop the mic right there, but I'm not going to let you do that (laughs) because I want to shift the conversation briefly before I let you go. And we are going to talk about tattoos, going to talk about some tattoos. Uh, As we discussed earlier, I love them. I have them. I'm getting more. You have a couple. Yes. And I want to hear about the one that is most meaningful to you. They're both meaningful. And I'll tell you two stories. The first one is a bumblebee on the back. Mm-hmm. And the bumblebee was when Manchester got bombed a few years ago at the, uh, the conference that were, uh, one of the pop stars was doing. Manchester mm-hmm. was... Um, is, is a working, it's known as a working bee community. So everyone works together in this big community. Mm-hmm. It brought back some memories of living in Manchester when the IRA were there bombing, bombing the place. And it was actually, dad was around. And to me, 
it was the first time I had a calling back to Manchester and I really felt a connection back to Manchester and Bumblebee meant something to me from a community perspective. Mm-hmm. So I got the Bumblebee done on the back. Um, I do have, I'll show you this thing here called Banffy. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only do I carry Banffy in my pocket all the time, I carry him on, on my shoulder. You got two of yeah. them with you all at all times. And... Um, then I'm out, and, it, and it's purposely done as a, it's there. So when I have my t-shirt on, you can't mm-hmm. see it. So I'm not doing these. This is not to show other people. Mm-hmm. When I'm in, when I'm on the beach and I wear a sleeveless, you can see it. The amount of people that stop me and go, it's a bumblebee because he's a big bloke and he wears a bumblebee on his, so <laughs> he wears a, a dock in there. But it, it reminds me all the time. It reminds me it's there. It's there all the time as a reminder of not only the journey I've had, but the journey I'm experiencing as well. And it's extremely personal for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the funny thing is that both of these tattoos were done by a deep, a deep dark rocker. Right, he makes he does really deep dark skulls. Mm-hmm. That's right, really deep dark graphic. He's a goth, right? He's a goth. <laughs> he had to do a bumblebee and a duck. I got the duck redone by a lady in Melbourne who specialises in comics and Pokemon. Mm-hmm. But then I spent you know the whole studios full of these people get tattoos and, and I spend the next hour and a half talking about how a rubber duck saved me jumping off the bridge and now they've got the rubber duck in the studio. <laughs> so nice. the, duck, the duck to me is, is a symbol of, so to me tattoos is, is if you go back to the old times of tattoos, mm-hmm. uh, not the war times, the, the, the history, it, it's a symbolism of who, who you are, where you've come from, but also where you're going as mm-hmm. well. And, um, I've got a few other in back of my mind. Um, and I'm scared of needles as well. So this is a thing. Okay. So the other one I want to do is I want to get Phoenix on, the, on my back. Yes. But I want 3D wings. So as I move, the wings rise. Okay. I haven't told the wife about that. So when she listens to this podcast, she might go, what the bloody hell are you thinking? So okay. that's, that, that, that's for me. So, so tattoos now intrigue me about the person, about why you had the tattoo. What, what was the meaning? What was the meaning of that tattoo? Um, I don't hide it. I, I forget it's there sometimes. Some people sometimes sit and go, "What's that?" So it's just mm-hmm. a tattoo. I love yeah. that, and I love that you went ahead and answered because that was going to be my next question: Is are there tattoos to come? So I'm excited about this phoenix. I hope it does happen. Hi, Wendy. Let the <laughs> phoenix happen because um, I want to see these wings for sure. Uh, so yeah, so tattoos I think are an important part of uh, important part of my life, the symbolism of it. Gordon, we have covered a lot of ground today. If people want to know more, see more of you, I mean, what I have noticed is that I have been smiling almost this entire episode, even through the difficult parts of your conversation conversation because the energy, your energy is just so contagious. So if other people agree with that and want to find you, where can they find you? Um, everywhere and anywhere. <laughs> so, <laughs> literally, I, I have nothing to hide. So uh, my website is, I like to keep things simple. So my website is IamGordonJenkins.com. Uh, on Instagram, it's I am Gordon Jenkins. Uh, if you want to follow the duck on Instagram, it's Banffy the duck. Like I said, I keep things really mm-hmm. simple. Love it. Uh, on Facebook, it's Gordon Jenkins. 
uh, on LinkedIn, you can put Gordon Jenkins. Just Google. There's three Gordon Jenkins when you Google Gordon Jenkins. One of them is a composer that used to write for Frank Sinatra. He's dead. The other one used to be a mayor of New York, and I think he's imprisoned on money laundering and drug scandals and stuff like that. And the other Gordon Jenkins is me. Perfect. So, so you're the only one <laughs> so alive and out of jail. <laughs> uh, out of jail, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's it. Um, so that's where you'll find me out there. And if you want to send me an email, it's um, gordon at imgordonjenkins.com. <laughs> I love that it's easy. <laughs> Super <laughs> easy. Well, um, Gordon, I am so grateful that you joined me here today. Your story, your energy Banfi, all of you have been amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you. No, thank you. Thank you so much, Sam. It's been um, one of the most enjoyable ones I've done for a long, long time. And uh, thank you for letting me share out there. And I, I just want to reach you. I don't want people to call me because they think I'm going to do business. If people are struggling, people just want to hear more about the story and they just want to reach out, reach out. I'm up at all times of the hours because, you know, and that's what I do. Um, but I mean that, you know, if you're struggling, reach out to me. Um, if I can help, I can help. If I can't, then I know someone people. I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to share the story and hopefully to make a difference and make an impact in someone who's listening. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I'll send you a ban fee as well. I will take it. <laughs> I will carry it around. Cool. I will make him an Instagram page. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> I really hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Gordon as much as I did. I truly appreciate his energy, his positivity, and his willingness to truly be an open book for us today. So remember, until next week, you are strong enough and you are worth it. Thank you for listening to the Strong Enough Podcast. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform by searching Strong Enough. And on YouTube, we're available on the Spear Talk channel. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Strong Enough Pod. If you have suggestions for an upcoming episode or a future guest, please reach out at strongenoughpod at gmail.com. Remember, you are worth it.